just going to read from Psalm 119 and verse 16. 119 and verse 160. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. You remember last week uh, a video that I showed you from Bishop Cliff as to the state of the church in Canada. And the stats were not encouraging in every general category that you can think of. Uh, we were in decline. And so we created a vision for 2023 as to what that would look like within our church to be, a, as an individual, seek to make a difference. And so as a result, I presented that vision and a direction to further God's kingdom within our community and the surrounding area. Well, today's message is the beginning of preparing us as individuals and corporately to live this vision out. And I've created an acronym uh, for you on the PowerPoint. Basically, this year and the years to come, as believers in Genesis House, we're going to strive for the top. We're going to strive for the top. We are going to strive as people of truth. We're going to strive to be people who obey the truth. And we're going to strive to be people who operate in the Spirit's power. And all my sermons in the next few weeks are going to be to, to uh, engage you with these three areas and see how that looks in our lives. So, truth. We'll start with truth. What is truth? It's an old age question that goes back to the beginning of history. It was a question that was asked of Jesus by Pontius Pilate just moments before his crucifixion in John 18. It's a question that plagues our society today. Uh, a truth, as truth now has become whatever you feel like it should be or whatever you personally want to make it. Unfortunately, this is also creeping slowly into the church. It reminds me of an older preacher who had heard about a young minister looking for a pastoral position at their local church. The pulpit committee had invited him, invited him to come over to their church for the interview. The committee chairman asked, Son, do you know the Bible pretty good? The young minister said, Yep, pretty good. The chairman asked, well, which part do you know best? He responded, I know the New Testament best. Which part of the New Testament do you know best, said the chairman. The young minister said, several parts. The chairman said, well, why don't you tell us the story of the prodigal son? The young man said, fine. There was a young man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, who went down to Jericho by night and he fell upon stony ground. And the thorns choked him half to death. The next morning, Solomon and his wife Gomorrah came by and carried him down to the Ark of Moses to take care of that. But as he was going through the eastern gate into the Ark, he caught his hair in a limb, and he hung there for forty days and forty nights. And he, afterward, he was very hungry, and the ravens came and fed him. The next day, the three wise men came and carried him down to the boat dock, and he caught a ship to Nineveh. And when he got there, he found Delilah sitting on the wall, and he said, Chunk her down, boys, chunk her down. And they said, How many times shall we chunk her down? Seventy times seven? And he said, Nay, but seventy times seven. And they chunked her down 490 times. 
And she burst asunder into their midst. And they picked up twelve baskets of the leftovers, and they asked him, Lord, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? The committee chairman suddenly interrupted the young minister and said to the remainder of the committee, Fellows, I think we ought to ask the church to call him to be our minister. He's sure young, but he sure does know his Bible. So what is truth? Well, it goes without saying for us, found in the life of, it's found in the life of Jesus and the, the words contained within the scriptures. I'm not here this morning to discuss why the Bible is credible or why we believe the Bible to be reliable. If you'd like to have that conversation, I'll do that with you privately, and I can point you to some credible resources as well of men and women who have put effortless study into that to know how, why we believe and can prove that the, the Bible is credible and true. But more importantly, I just want to speak to you as to why we are to be people of the book. And there's two main points for you this morning. And the first one is, it's the primary way in which we hear God's voice. It's the primary way in which we hear God's voice. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. It will say this. Um, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training. So when we're reading scripture, it says here that it's inspired by God. It's the way we hear from him. In 2 Peter 1. Uh, verse through 20, he says this, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So it's clear from the New Testament and the Old Testament's perspective, all Scripture is, has God as the author. Now it's important for us because this means that the Bible is not just a book of principles and good wisdom. It's actually a way of engaging with a personality. It's with a, with a living being. It's how you hear the Lord speak to you. I know in application, a lot of times when I've been looking for answers to different questions, they're, they're found within the scriptures. Whether it be financial advice, or marital advice, or parenting advice, or what, you know, issues of conflict, whatever, I can find them in the Word of God, and I know you can too. Now, I'm not saying that the Lord can't speak in other ways. He can do things like uh, words of wisdom and words of knowledge, dreams, visions, and so on. But this is the most consistent way to, to understand and know the truth. Jesus illustrated to us to this uh, perfectly, actually. We can see the role of hearing from God and the reliability of the scriptures when he was on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. Let's look at how... Jesus himself felt that the, the scriptures were so important from hearing from God. You'll remember that Jesus has died. The disciples were depressed. Even though Jesus told them he would suffer, they didn't fully believe him or comprehend it. When Jesus appeared to the men who were walking from Jerusalem after the crucifixion, who were sad, they, they, he asked them this question, or actually he made this statement. He said, how foolish are you and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and enter glory? Now at this point, you would think Jesus would reveal himself to them so that they could believe he was resurrected. But he doesn't. He does something else instead. In verse 27 of Luke 24, it says, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
So he didn't immediately reveal himself resurrected. He gave him a sermon and said, remember what the Bible said and God has said about me. And you can trust this as a reliable resources, a resource. And look, now that I helped you interpret it properly, look, everything that was said did actually come true. So this is really powerful that Jesus knew that this is the primary way to hear about the Lord and from the Lord. The primary way he will be known is through the scriptures. The primary benefit of the Bible then is it re reveals God to us and the person of Jesus to us. So that's number one. Number two, why should we be people of the truth? Besides hearing from the Lord and hearing his voice, what would be another reason? Well, God's word, if the PowerPoint will move forward, <laughs> has power to heal and transform lives. It has power to heal and transform lives. There is tremendous benefits in the, the word of the Lord. It brings healing and transformation in incredible ways. And I want to just show you some of these ways in Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, it says this, it can free us from shame and guilt in verse six. It can keep us from sinning, verse 11. It revives our soul. It provides comfort in suffering. It provides wisdom and understanding. It brings us joy, helps in time of trouble, brings us peace, leads us to praise, and is a path to eternal life and salvation. These are just some of the ways. I was talking with uh, Brad and Sharon this week, and he was telling me about an experience he had the, recently while he was trying to fix his motorhome. And he said, everything that could have gone wrong, went wrong. And it's one of those days that you wish you just never got out of bed and never pulled out the tools. And all of us probably can relate to that. In fact, you might have had that uh, happen to you this week. He said, you know, I just quit everything I was doing, put it down, and I just opened the scriptures and started reading. Just started reading and praying and going through that. He said, by the end of the time that I was done, my soul was completely changed. I was, as Psalm 119 promised, revived. Revived. The Word of God was able to transform his emotional condition. If you go back, Kevin, to the previous slide, see, the Word of God contains power. It contains power. It can actually, when you read it, it has power. In Hebrews 4 and verse 12, it's a really powerful hearing. It says, For the Word of God is alive. And powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one to whom we are accountable. So the Word of God is alive and powerful. It does something to you when you read it. It changes you. So again, the Bible is not just words on a page like any other religious book. It's, there's power in God's word to heal. I want to show you a video of the world's most dangerous prison, at least at one time it was, it's no longer. It's in Louisiana, and it's, uh, the, spirit, or the, the prison is called Angola. It was the world's most deadliest prison in the United States, 
and now it's been completely changed by the truth and the power of God's Word. Let's watch together. I'm Franklin Gray, and right now I'm in Angola, Louisiana at State Penitentiary. This was known as the bloodiest prison in the United States, but God has done something in this prison. And I want to take the next couple of minutes and just share with you what God has done here in Angola. Burl Kane, uh, the warden of Angola, God has used this man in a remarkable way. Uh, it took the bloodiest prison in the United States, and God used uh, Burl Kane and the other uh, wardens here. Uh, to change this prison into something that's very special. This is a very serious, hardcore prison, but it's a very moral prison. And uh, the violence is, is just really almost non-existent. You know, we've, we have uh, less than 100 assaults inmate on inmate with any kind of weapon last year. And the same with the employees, about 60 assaults on the employees. And uh, for this size prison with 5,000 prisoners, with the kind of inmates I've described, it's just phenomenal. I don't want to claim credit for it. This is a God thing. And this is us being submissive to him, and the inmates just change. But Bible colleges mean that we create our own preacher within the prison. And then there's a preacher to live with this prison and live with these inmates 24 hours, seven days a week, who is trained in how to counsel and how to help them with their problems and give them hope through Jesus Christ. And what happens then, it's just like the 12-step program with an alcoholic. You change from within. And so the prison has to change from within. It has to change itself. And we're the vehicle. And that's why the church is so important, because that that's here. And then that inmate minister has a place to go and to preach to his, to his congregation. And there are several church services that will be held in that church, because there's several different churches here. And each we have little churches within this prison with a minister who takes care of his flock. And he's trained. We have a group of inmates that you can't say a curse word in their little group where they work because if you do, you have to do 10 push-ups. Now, whoever heard of prisoners making each other do push-ups for cursing? There's no pro profanity in this prison. We don't allow the guards to do it, the correctional officers, but the inmates, they don't either. And so because it's a moral place. Life with Christ gives me a lot of hope and purpose. He's the reason why I'm still living, I believe. I, I always told myself I can't see myself doing 17, 20 years, and here I'm going on my tent, fix going on my tent year, and I'm like, he's giving me hope. I got a chance. With him, I'm, I'm actually relieved. I might spend the rest of my life in Angola, but I will be free. I'm freed with him. I'm Jim Rents. I'm the senior chaplain here at Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola. This has been a wonderful day. We've had a dedication of our chapel. Franklin Graham's been here to to officiate and be honored as uh, the one who spoke to us. Personally, these men were needing some chapel here for years, and every camp we have here had a chapel, but except Camp F. And now Camp F has its chapel. And I just wish you could see the men who worship here, what this means to them to be able to have a place to worship, a place set aside. They don't feel like they're in, in prison. They feel like they're in a sanctuary. It's, it's, there's no, there's no wire, there's no walls. They can, they can just feel like they're, they're free, and they are because Jesus has made them free. By faith, I declare that many souls will be saved in this place. Many will be redeemed in this house. We will worship God. And when Franklin Graham was here two years ago, he agreed to help us build this chapel. 
and this day has been such a an eventful day for for us but my eventful day was more impressed by the by the faces of the men who came and and you could see that this is our chapel and we we were forgotten by society by and large but you've been so kind to build us a place of worship may it be a facility that will be able to present the gospel to many hundreds of men here in angola showing the world that we are important that's the personal thing that just touches me. I, I, I just can't tell you in words what it means to me uh, to be involved here and to be involved with these precious men. 147 ministers and, and 465 church services a month. And these chapels are such a blessing. And now Camp F has their chapel. That's, that's God. That's just God. know that you didn't come to that proficiency with minimal time and effort. 
Not one of you who's skilled at anything you do just were born that way and never had to put any time into it. It took weeks, months, years of hard work, dedication, and discipline. So true is it with the scriptures. Ten minutes of study before Monday night or Tuesday night or Wednesday night just to show up won't prepare you for the growth that's possible on the women's and men's and couple studies. You can't just jam it in 10 minutes before and expect to grow. Just listening to me once a week on a Sunday is not enough for expect, to expect you to grow in substantial ways. Of course it'll help, but not to the same degree. So inconsistency is one. Number two is the motivation of our heart. The motivation of our heart. If we just think we need to read it because it's sort of like a hell insurance or makes me a better Christian, then we've come to the scriptures with the wrong motivation. C.S. Lewis said this, when we come to scripture, it is not a question of learning a subject, but steeping ourselves in a personality. It's not about learning a subject, it's about steeping yourself in the personality. That was the problem with the Pharisees in Jesus' day. I want to read from you from John 5, 37. He says, Jesus said to the religious leaders who would have had the Old Testament pretty much memorized without any paper in front of them. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. But you refuse to come to me to have life. They're studying the scriptures, but they're, they're, they're failing to see Jesus in them. When you come to the Word of God, it's to encounter Him and to have a relationship with Him. It's to hear His voice. It's to meet Him and know Him more passionately. My life changed in a pretty big way about uh, 13, 14 years ago, somewhere in there. I was involved in about three Bible studies a week, but I was inconsistent, so I wouldn't do any work. I would show up to them, but because I had enough Christianese language, I could pull it, I could just spit in and pull it off. And I had some pretty big talkers in my group, so they dominated the conversation. So it was enough for me just to contribute to sort of look like I fit in. I was doing all these word studies and all these like, you know, extra studies and not really growing a heck of a lot. And then um, one day when the Lord got a hold of my life and I asked him like, what do you want me to do? And he says, well, I got, he told me a few things, but one of the things he said to me was, you don't know me good enough. All you know is what other people have taught you and what's in, what's in the book of Luke. Because all my Bible studies ironically were in the book of Luke. <laughs> Three Bible studies in Luke. So I put, the, I put it down, I started in Genesis 1-1 and I said, God, I'm not gonna take any I'm not going to study anything, I'm just going to read for relationship. I read the entire Old Testament about three months and it radically changed my life. It was through that process that I'm actually a pastor today. If I hadn't gone through that process, I would not be sitting here today. I pursued him relationally and he completely changed me. And then he gave me Dan to help answer all my questions. Another reason but some people don't flourish as much as others is confidence and tradition. Confidence and tradition. All of you in here have come from different church backgrounds. Your denomination holds to things very tightly. Your grandmother holds to things very tightly. Your parents hold to things very tightly. 
your leaders hold to things very tightly. But what if they are in contradiction or challenge the very things you're reading in the pages in the Word of God? See, this happened to Peter, Jesus' number one leader in the beginning before Paul came around. In Mark 7 and verse 19, Jesus said to Peter, all food is clean for you to eat. You can eat anything as a Jew. A number of years later, probably about 10 or so, uh, the Lord appears to Peter because he wants to save the Gentiles. And so he gives him a vision of a large sheet coming down from heaven with animals on it. And he says to Peter, get up, kill, and eat. Do you remember what Peter said? No way, Jose. I'm not eating any of that stuff. I've never eaten anything unclean. Now, he wasn't teaching him a food illustration. He was teaching him that Gentiles were clean and the gospel was to go to them. But nevertheless, he used a food analogy with Peter to help him see that. But why did, why did Peter make that statement? He couldn't let go of, of his Jewish way of life. Jesus even told him at least 10 years earlier, Peter, you don't have to live this way anymore. And Peter stuck to the tradition and he wouldn't eat anything else. Pretty incredible. So we have to think about our own situations when we come to the word of the Lord. And we read things and we go, there's no possible way God could be saying that because so-and-so taught me this or so-and-so taught me that or my church believes this. Now, they might be right, but enter into dialogue with other people and further explore these things, but have an open heart to change in case those who mentored you are wrong. <laughs> I've told you many stories of my own journey pastoring you guys over 10 years and the changes I've had to make as, this as the scriptures have challenged me. The next one would be, sometimes we need a teacher. Need a teacher. Let's be honest, the Bible is a really hard book at times to understand. Before we went through it, did any of you have confidence in the book of Revelation? <laughs> Imagine like having to stand up week after week and preach in that, right? I sure didn't before I started myself. It's a hard book to understand. I read Isaiah and Jeremiah and things like that. I'm like, I have no idea, Lord, what you're talking about here. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit can't be your primary teacher and God can't speak to you privately, but let's be honest, there are times, certain times, when things are just difficult. And sometimes the Lord has shown other people these things already and He can help you. Think of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, verse 30. He's on the road, he's come from Jerusalem, he's got Isaiah opened on the road. Philip comes to him and says, so uh, what you reading there? And he goes, Isaiah, and he goes, so how's it going? And he goes, not great. And he says, the eunuch says, I need someone to guide me. And so Philip started teaching him about Jesus through Isaiah. Paul in Acts 19.9 opened up a school called Tyrannus in Ephesus. They were already Christians, that he opened up his school, and for a couple of years, he taught them at the school of Tyrannus. Now what's cool is, from what I can see, um, the, 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 where that was situated, that's probably where all the church plants came in Revelation. The message of the seven churches was birthed out of probably leaders from the school of Tyrannus, and people who were disciples there. 
So in Genesis House, we have different places that you can learn the scriptures. Yeah, one-on-one, -on -one, spend time with the Lord, let him talk to you. But if you have questions and you find yourself stuck, share that with other people in the church, people that you trust, that you think know the word of God, and we'll walk through those things with you. Group situations, one-on-one, -on -one, whatever it means. The final one is obedience to it. In John 8, 31, Jesus says this, If you hold to my teaching, meaning if you like embrace my teaching and go my way, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if you hold to my teaching, if you obey my scriptures, then you will learn to know that what I say is true, and the truth will set you free. As we obey the Lord in life, the more we experience the truth that Jesus speaks of. So it's more important, it's not important how much you know, it's important how much you obey of that which you know. I remember Shelly, she came to me, I'm going to tell a story, I didn't ask her permission, but I, I know you'll be okay with this. I think you'll be okay with this. <laughs> she came to me one time when she first became a Christian, she was sort of frustrated or a little bit, a little bit down because she felt she didn't know anything in the Bible. And I just said to her, I said, listen, Shelly, from everything I've seen in your life so far, you're walking in God's truth to the best that you understand it. I said, he's more impressed with you and more, like, more like, grateful for you who is walking in what you do know than not walking in what you like, know. So if you know 100 verses and you obey three, versus knowing three and obeying three, right? He's just grateful for where you're at and the way you're walking in truth. The more we obey the word of the Lord, the more it will produce Christ-like character. Now I'm going to speak on obedience next week in our sermon. That's the, the, the truth, obedience, and power. Next week's sermon will be dedicated just to this. So again, let's say we're thinking, well, the Bible hasn't really transformed my life in any way. Think about, let me give you this sort of final admonition. What's our time like in the scriptures? What's our heart attitude like in the scriptures? What are our traditions that may be holding back from seeing the truth in scriptures? What if we need a teacher? Are we willing to obey uh, what we learn? All of these things are, are critical to experiencing the transforming power of God's word. So I say this not to discourage you, but to encourage you. To encourage you. Make room for the truth of the, 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 the Lord's word. Make it a priority. And I know Jeff did a sermon on this, about how to sort of organize your day and organize your life to make this a priority. If we are going to respond to bringing the kingdom of God to the community in a world in which truth is relative, and whatever you want to make it, it's going to be fundamental that we understand it and know how to apply it in a pluralistic society. We need to bring God's voice to the public. Bring God's voice to the table and bring healing through it. Think of Okotoks like the Angola prison. Think of it like the Angola prison. And it needs to, we need to bring healing to the community. And it starts with knowing this truth.